0: We might start with the notices now. We generally do them before the service so that they don't interrupt the flow. The service next Sunday will be held by the minister, Chris Hanna, and the topic is well done. A nice pun on the poet John Donne with musical contributions by Margaret Lambert, so that will be a real treasure. Today's service will be a little bit different. on the fill-in, and I've used the opportunity to experiment a bit and so is Brendan, uh, and you will see on your seats a copy of Step Right Up, a song by Tom Waits, and you're, you're not, you don't have to sing that song. It's got a lot of words, but it'll be easier to pick them up if you cast your papers over those. Now, getting on with the notices, uh, Mary, could you talk to us about the new church directory, please?
1: Good morning, everyone. We haven't put out a new church directory since late in 2022, so it's definitely time, and there's been a few changes of of, uh, details. So what it is is basically a little booklet which has details of church church members or any regular attendees. You don't have to be a member. And everyone has a choice whether you appear in here or not, so you don't have to be in here. But if you know you're in the directory, just have a check of your name and and details. Make sure they're still correct, because typos can squeeze in. And of course, if anything's changed, change it on here. Also, if there's a few people with question marks next to their names, if you know anything about them and whether they're still associated with the church, let me know, because we don't want to leave people in here when they don't want to be in here anymore. Uh, Put a little initial after you've checked yours. Thank you very much. I'll leave it on the front row of seats, maybe.
0: Yes, well, you can't leave it in the usual spot, which is on the organ seat, because Brendan's going to use that today. Now, a Shady Grove bushcare video is available to watch on Facebook, and it stars Jenny Warner talking about a grassroots grant and Shady Grove in general. There's an updated history booklet available in the foyer. You can also find that online. And last of all, just uh, information about the minister's availability. He is on leave from the 25th of December to the 7th of January, and after that, his working hours are Tuesday, 9 to 1. Wednesday 1 till 5, Thursdays and Fridays 9 till 5, and of course he rocks up on Sunday mornings. I'm going to light the, the chalice now.
2: listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information visit unitariansa.org.au
0: not a feature of Unitarianism in South Australia because it wasn't invented till World War II when Hans Deutsch chose it. But we've embraced it pretty much since World War II, I think, and of course it graces our building on the top. And we've returned to using that as our logo also after a brief flirtation with an American one. Well I'd like to welcome you all here today, uh, we've got a lot of new people here today. My name's Jenny Dyster and I'm the current President of the Committee of Management. We acknowledge that we're on Ghana land, we acknowledge that the Ghana people have a continuing connection with that land and we honour their elders past and present. You may have noticed there's a tap cash thing there if you are no longer using cash. There's also a grey chalice, and if you want to donate, all contributions are very welcome. Now we're going to have a hymn today. The words and the music are on sheets of paper on the pews. It's a familiar one, so Brendan won't need to play it through. To that time in the service when people can light candles of joy, concern and insight just a little reminder that it's not the time for a diatribe or a, anything long to the headlines the time for discussing what you have to say and giving extra information is coffee time afterwards and I'll light the very first candle today and I'm lighting it for the weather I just love it it's so soft and lovely Especially to compare, compared to the dreadful stuff they're getting in the eastern states. Now, I open the door to anybody else who would like to light a candle. I met a
3: traveller from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tells that sculptor well those passions read which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed and on the pedestal these words appear
0: Big picture, little picture. Now, Big picture, used figuratively, often has positive connotations. A leader with a big picture view won't try and micromanage employees and nitpick. Big picture thinking involves focusing on the overall vision and macro level aspects of a project or decision. It's the ability to envisage broader, higher-level plans for the long term, to see beyond immediate concerns and develop strategies for the future. Now, small picture typically refers to a detailed, specific view of a situational problem. You focus on details, specifics, immediate consequences or individual components of a situational problem. Now, in real life, obviously, you need both for balance. But the big side sounds like leadership and largesse and the small of minions, secretaries and under-secretaries, red tape, constraints, and so on. Now, lately, world politics and war have taken the center stage in the news for some time, and it's been a while since we've addressed sustainability, climate change, and the future of our planet. The beginning of a new year is always a good time to take stock. And while doom-scrolling, I discovered Crazy Town, a podcast platform produced by the Post Carbon Institute. Doom-scrolling, for those who aren't in on the latest jargon, is the act of spending an excessive amount of time reading negative news online. Well, today's address will hopefully forewarn you of a particular kind of article that often seems to defy our principles, namely caring for the environment and respecting each other regardless of wealth and status. Billionaires are a growing breed in many countries, and, like you and I, they can bypass editors and publish the contents of their tiny minds. And they do. No doubt you are aware of the opinion of Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey, but have you heard of Silicon Valley venture capitalist Mark Andreessen? His big production in 2023 was the Techno-Optimist Manifesto. He's big on quotes, especially from economists like Paul Collier, a contemporary British economist. Economic growth is not a cure-all, but a lack of economic growth is a kill-all. And Andreessen shows his true colours when debunking the idea of universal basic income. I'm not sure who we is, but never mind. We believe universal basic income would turn people into zoo animals to be farmed by the state. Man was not meant to be farmed, man was meant to be productive, to be proud. Now, I'm not going to mount a case for universal basic income. The purpose of it is to reduce poverty and increase equality among citizens. The environment is the most important reason for it and the political issue we face because it's our life support system. But a growing number of consumers dependent on the finite and non-renewable resources it provides, we need to take action to lighten our individual and collective footprint. Whether or not universal basic income is practicable or desirable is not part of my brief. I'm just noting it gets up Andreessen's nose because he believes in continuous infinite growth. Now, it's said that only economists and madmen go so far as to assume the existence of infinite resources. He's not an economist, so I guess he's nuts. The manifesto is full of banal statements that don't stand up. We had a problem with isolation, so we invented the Internet, he said. Note the all-encompassing we again. Well, did we? And has the Internet alleviated this problem or augmented it? I mean, it's nice that intersects people can communicate and support each other, instead of having to hide their gender status and deal with unrealistic expectations of others. And the same goes for people with autism or conjoined twins or all sorts of other people who are comforted by finding their tribe online. But what about the video gamers who won't leave their bedrooms? What about the little girls who hate their own bodies because of all the Barbie doll types on TikTok. The internet can deepen isolation. We can all be judged and found wanting. We had a problem with a pandemic, so we invented vaccines. I guess vaccines didn't exist before the pandemic. <laughs> people were starving, so we invented the Green Revolution. That's so people had to buy American seed and fertiliser every year, incurring debt. Andreessen's mantras are remorseless. Give us a real-world problem and we'll solve it with technology. We believe markets are an inherently individualistic way to achieve superior collective outcomes. We believe in nature, and also we believe in overcoming nature. We're not primitives cowering in fear of the lightning bolt. We are apex predators. Now, this really is vomitous balderdash this guy strikes lightning bolts, they don't strike him. Nor does any notion of climate change or sustainability. He throws money at problems and solves them. Chillingly, he believes that human wants and needs are infinite. The notion of diminishing returns he supplants with a belief of exponentially growing returns. People, he pronounces, do things for only three reasons. Money, love and force. Love, he says, doesn't scale. Not sure what that means. The force experiment, he says, has been run and found wanting. Is he perhaps thinking of Darth Vader in Star Wars? Mm. That leaves money back to markets. Markets, he says, are how we can help people we don't know. He doesn't say they are how we can exploit people we don't know. I guess one should keep thinking positively, like he does about energy. Energy, he says, should be in an upward spiral. The more energy we have, the more people we have, the better everyone's lives will be. We should raise everyone's energy consumption to our own, and then raise everyone a thousand times. Nuclear fusion is the answer to our energy needs, and he estimates the Earth can support 50 billion people. Developed human societies, he worries, are depopulating all over the world across cultures. The whole human population, he shrills, may already be shrinking. Well, it may not. Google it. It's like he catches on to all sorts of quotes and then weaves them into an upbeat narrative promoting growth, the glory of human ambition and achievement. What could possibly get in the way? Well, Enviro's for starters. You know, the sort of people who want to shut down coal-fired power plants. The precautionary principle continues to inflict unnecessary suffering on our world today. It is deeply immoral, and we must jettison it with extreme prejudice. Our enemy is deceleration, degrowth, and depopulation. The nihilist wishes so trendy among our elites for fewer people will mean more suffering and more deaths. It's interesting, isn't it, how a billionaire will point the finger at elites and identify with people with normal incomes. So who are the patron saints of techno-optimism that he keeps quoting? Well, if you go through the list of credits at the bottom of the manifesto, you can see that they're 89% male, 92% white, and quite a few economists cherry-picked out of context. What do they have in common apart from being white, male, and interested in money? Well, they aim at coherence. Their self interest aligns with their worldview. They get ideas that run in the techno field, they make bucket loads of money, and with that, they make investments that they believe will spur people on to the next stage. So, they're keen on exploring space travel, the interface between robots and people, and artificial intelligence. Let's put a face on one. Samuel Harris Altman, an American entrepreneur and investor, best known as the CEO of OpenAI since 2019. Now, originally, this was a non-profit with researchers mindful of the need for caution and regulation in the development of artificial intelligence. There was a connection with Microsoft. Now, Altman dropped out of university after studying for two years and he founded a mobile social networking service raising more than $30 million in venture capital. OpenAI, his artificial research lab, reported a record annualized revenue figure exceeding $1.6 billion dollars A remarkable 20% growth in just over two months. In late November, that's November the 26th, the ABC broke a story. Inside OpenAI, a rift between billionaires and altruistic researchers unraveled over the future of artificial intelligence. Altman was fired by the board, but then reinstated within a week to stop the highly profitable organization from unraveling. Fascinating story, but no time to tell it now. The point is, the profit-seekers defeated the more cautious researchers and experts. Now, outside the office, Altman is one of the many tech executives obsessed by expanding his life span. There's a little thing about his mornings and his work days. I note he finds his office time more Uh, productive than meetings. 90% are a waste of time. The other 10% really make up for it. But that means basically he wants to have the meetings in unproductive work time, I guess. Lots of coffee. That's the exercise. And I love this. The cooling pad, the sleep tracker, sleeping in the dark. Sleep's very important. Often takes a low dose of either sleeping pills or cannabis to help him sleep. No wonder after all that coffee. Now... He has also reportedly prepared for doomsday scenarios, including the chance of a lethal synthetic virus being released, nuclear warfare, and artificial intelligence attacks, with a stash of guns, gold, and survival supplies. Whether it's his sleep, his work schedule, or diet, he's particular about many aspects of his daily life and maximizing his effectiveness. Now, interestingly, a counter-movement this is to be found among the 20-year-old TikTokers, who seem to have discovered a much longer manifesto than Mark Andreessen's techno-optimist one. It's a 35,000-word essay by Ted Kaczynski, Industrial Society and its Future, an anti-technology essay. Remember the famous Unabomber? Now, this was published as an eight-page supplement in The Wall Street Journey back in the day, and frankly, it makes a lot more sense than Andreessen's bizarre ravings, but the actions of the Unabona do not make any sense. However, both these sides, pro-technology and anti, have one attitude in common, the government's the enemy, and that's a worry. Some of you here were around in the 1970s but others were born considerably later in the 20th century and maybe in the 21st. So, a bit of history. In 1971, Dr. Theodore Kaczynski rejected modern society and moved to a primitive cabin in the woods of Montana There he began building bombs, which he sent to professors and executives to express his disdain for modern society and to work on his magnum opus, Industrial Society and Its Future, forever known to the world as the Una Bomber Manifesto. Responsible for three deaths and more than 20 casualties over two decades, he was finally identified and apprehended with his brother, recognized his writing style, reading the Unabomber Manifesto. The piece, written under the pseudonym Freedom Club, was published in the New York Times after his promise to cease the bombing if a major publication printed it in its entirety. So, what can we do? We can't have clowns like Andreessen and Kaczynski as the spokespeople of our time. Well, there are organisations that are devoted to rational development and aim to pass a habitable world onto our children. The Natural Step, Earth Charter. And I'm sure I'm speaking to people here who are supporters of the World Wildlife Fund. We've got any? Trees for Life, Land care Group, Bush care group, my role isn't to make anyone feel guilty for not putting in enough hours into caring for our planet, our planet A. Planet B is an option only for the deluded mega-rich, the sorts who already have bunkers built to withstand nuclear war. Imagine the resources they'd be extracting from planet A to establish themselves elsewhere doesn't bear thinking about. I think we need to give ourselves a pat on the back for our small-picture strategy of looking after the patch we're on, and another pat if we're supporting organization with far-reaching aims, and yet another if we're exerting political pressure on our government to act sustainably. We can waste time and energy debunking posts on social media or taking on autodidacts at dinner parties. We can depress ourselves by reading too much negative news and commentary. Not good for mental health. Better to set ourselves up to concentrate on the here and now, the specifics, the small details. For to state the bleeding obvious, long-term adjustment can't come from neglect of tomorrow the next day, and the next day. Grandiose visions and lofty goals don't guarantee success. The bigger they come, the harder they fall. James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, begins his book on building good habits and breaking bad ones with a story about British cycling. In 2003, British cycling had endured 100 years of mediocrity. A major manufacturer of bikes refused to sell them to the Brits for fear that the sight of Brits riding their bikes would depress sales to other professionals. The governing body hired Dave Railsford as the new performance director and he was committed to a strategy of the aggregation of marginal gains, which is the philosophy of searching for a tiny margin of improvement in everything you do. So, he broke down everything he could think of that went into riding a bike. They redesigned the seats for comfort. They rubbed alcohol in the tyres for better grip. They asked riders to wear electrically heated overshorts to warm up their muscles. They used biofeedback sensors to monitor responses to training. Tested fabric in wind tunnels, tested different massage gels to aid recovery, and hired a surgeon to teach all the riders to wash their hands properly to reduce the chances of catching a cold. They even painted the inside of the team truck white to make it easier to spot the dirt that might degrade the performance of finely tuned bikes. Now, five years later, Beijing Olympics Britain, the British cycling team won an astounding 60% of the gold medals available. The dream run has continued with five Tour de France wins in the next 10 years, 178 world championships and 66 Olympic medals. All of which goes to show massive success didn't require some earth-shattering improvement, but rather an aggregation of small improvements. If you can get 1% better every day for a year you'll be 37% better by the end of the year. Conversely if you pick up bad habits and decline at an infin- infinitesimally slow rate you could be back to nearly zero. It's very easy to assume that the little things you do aren't enough. You know like using the correct recycling bin, cutting back on plastic bags, replacing glad wrap with silicone stretch lids or wet tea towels not to mention setting an example for the next generation. I remember we used to giggle about a school principal's wife in the 1970s for washing out plastic bags and hanging them on the clothesline, which you could see from Longwood Road. It was a bit of a hoop. My mum had separate bins for cans, bottles, cardboard and green waste. Well, it took a while for these ideas to catch on, but they have. Who rolls their eyes now? about minimising plastic waste and recycling. It's undeniable that much more needs to be done to reduce our carbon footprint, our energy consumption and our waste production. But rather than stress over the deficits and burnout or drop to habits, I think we need to take heart from the idea that little steps may aggregate to a tipping point when bigger reforms become politically possible. And I may recommend Atomic Habits, um, the book by James Clear. The chapter headings are very seductive. Walk slowly and never backwards. The law of least effort, It appeals to me. How to stop procrastinating by using the two-minute rule. How to stick with good habits and how to stay motivated. But let me finish today with a poem from the Dao De Ching. we are born soft and supple, dead, we are stiff and hard. Plants are born tender and pliant, dead, they are brittle and dry. Thus, whoever is stiff and inflexible is a disciple of death. The hard and stiff will be broken. The soft and subtle will prevail. Those were the words of the poet and sage, Lao Tzu. And I'll do the benediction now, using further words of Lao Tzu. If you do not change direction, you may end up where you're heading. In dwelling, live close to the ground. In thinking, keep to the simple. In conflict, be fair and generous. In governing, don't try to control. In work, do what you enjoy. In family life, be completely present. To realize that you do not understand is a virtue. Not to realize that you do not understand is a defect.
2: Hope you've enjoyed this expanding horizons podcast these podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter they can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter this permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on facebook or twitter by searching essay unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.